everyone and welcome to Theana Money, where we seek to help the good man leave an inheritance to his children's children. This is Jeremy, the host of Theana Money. I think that this is an episode I am very qualified to do because of my superior lived experiences. I am married to a woman. Also, I know very much about the sports ball. I love it when the team makes it the goal and the fans yell in applause. Okay, joking aside, my best claim to something cool with sports is turning down multiple coaches at my college when they asked for me to play soccer for the college team. One of them wanted me so badly, he tried to compromise by saying that I only had to show up to games, not to practice. And that was after I said... I couldn't play because I was too busy with classes and my job. But if you know how bad my alma mater's soccer team was, that wouldn't be much of an accomplishment. I'm pretty sure my high school soccer team could have beaten my college's soccer team in a a game. And my high school's team wasn't that great either. It was decent, but it wasn't that great. Uh, at one point, a fellow student was trying to get me to join the team as well, trying to convince me to. And I say, you don't want me to play soccer for our school. I played one year in middle school and one year varsity in high school. And she goes, that's okay. Some of the guys on the team don't even have that much soccer experience. It was rough. Fun to joke about looking back now, but I don't know. It's just kind of fun to joke around about and fun story to say at the beginning of an episode talking about sports. But I don't need to know a ton about sports to be able to understand at least a little bit of how economics and sports are related, especially when it comes to the topic today, women's sports and value. So how did the idea for this episode begin? Well, it actually goes back to before I officially launched Theana Money. When I was just working on ideas for it, while preparing for my talk for a virtual conference now I think a bit over a year and a half ago. Preparing for my talk, God, Government, and Critical Theory for the God and Government virtual conference put out by Cruciform Media in April of last year, April of 2021. By the way, I can drop a YouTube link where you can listen to that talk if you want to learn some stuff about critical theory in the show notes to this episode. So when preparing for that, I listened to a lot of people advocating for intersectionality to help better understand the worldview and what they stood for. Now, listening to feminists rant about oppression for several hours does multiple things to you, not the least of which is make you want to figure out whether your knuckles or your skull would break first if you punched yourself in the face a few hundred times. Another thing it does for you is make you realize how truly idiotic critical theory, intersectionality, and feminism are. 
And now this was not the beginning of my research into these topics preparing for that talk. I was specifically requested by Brandon Scalf to take on critical theory for that God and government virtual conference because he knew I had been more or less studying critical theory since 2018 when not a whole lot of people were into the woke movement yet. Uh, not that I wanted to, it was just back in 2018. There were so few people talking about it. If I wanted to know much about it, I kind of had to be the one going into my, to it myself. <clears throat> back then was like Michael O'Fallon and James White and a few other guys from a Christian standpoint and James Lindsay from a non-Christian standpoint. That was basically it, calling out uh, intersectionality and wokeism in 2018. And Vody Bauckham has been talking about ethnic Gnosticism for like a decade now, but that was before he wrote his book Fault Lines. Anyways, um, as I was studying even more on those topics for that talk, just showed me some of the insane things that proponents of that stuff teach. So, on to the insanity of what these feminists were saying. And yes, I called it insanity that the feminists were talking about. If you are upset about that, just go check out Femina Sola Gratia that my friend Anna runs and uh, read some of the stuff that she has to say there. But they were saying a lot of crazy stuff on this one particular podcast I was listening to. I don't remember which one it was. I listened to so many preparing for that talk. And like I said, they made me want to punch myself in the face. So I think I just blocked out what they said out of my mind once I just got enough to be able to show why, biblically speaking, they're wrong. But one thing in one of those podcasts I listened to, one thing they said that was pertinent to economics and turned into an idea for a Theonomony episode that now in a, year, a year and a half later is finally coming to light is they, these two women on this podcast, they were talking about sports and how it relates to feminism, intersectionality, and LGBTQ+, specifically the T, which stands for transgender or the concept of transgenderism. And basically, uh, basically their argument was the idea that men cosplaying as women should not be allowed to compete in women's sports is dumb and hateful to their trans identity. But that was not the main argument. The main argument was that we say we care about women's sports when we say how men, although they would call them trans women, should not be able to compete in women's sports, but we actually don't care about women's sports. And their support for the idea that we, and I am using this we collectively, especially since I don't care much for sports anyways, other than how the crowds make for good open-air evangelism opportunities, they say that we don't care about women's sports because female athletes make so much less money than male athletes. And this is a form of patriarchal discrimination. And so therefore, I guess conservatives who want to use female sports as an argument against transgenderism. By the way, we don't need to use female sports as an argument against transgender transgenderism. We have the Bible. You know, Romans 9, the clay can't say to the potter, why do you make me this way? Though Paul there is talking about election. That definitely has some application to the transgender movement as well. But they're saying that we can't use women's sports as an argument because we don't care about women's sports since men get paid more than women in sports. So basically that's their argument. 
And now, like I said a few minutes ago, while I might not keep up with sports and I'm at best halfway decent at soccer and volleyball and I'm better at those two than other sports, although I'd take the years I spent learning Tang Soo Do training under a Detroit police officer than the same amount of time spent in whatever sport. Though I am not the most knowledgeable about sports, I do understand how value, supply, and demand impact sports. And that is much more relevant to Theana money than any knowledge about the physical side of sports. Now, don't hear me saying that sports are bad. We can't abuse 1 Timothy 4.8 to claim that physical exercise is of no value. I look forward to kicking around a soccer ball or playing catch with a baseball with my kids when I have several kids old enough to do stuff like that. But I'm more concerned that my sons know how to throw a punch with good form and technique than I am concerned that they know how to throw a ball with good technique. You know, I just mentioned that Tang Sudo Club that's one of the oldest Tang Sudo Clubs in uh, Michigan. The guy that started it trained under Grandmaster Dale Drulard, the first American to ever get his Don or what other styles called the black belt. And uh, he was the first American to get it in Tang Sudo and he trained the guy that started my club in 1968. Also, my club, we had fun when we fought. Uh, most other clubs would call what we were doing p would call what we were doing being too aggressive. We just called it fun when I went home limping a little bit and thought as long as my ankle's better in a day or two, that means it probably wasn't sprained. Fun stuff like that. And by the way, combat sports. That stuff is just combat sports. And uh, on a recent episode of the Hard Men podcast, Eric Hahn was saying that combat sports are really important and we should focus more on them than we focus on just general sports so that way men know how to fight not just how to throw a baseball or something like that anyways i'm getting way off topic here but you know from what i hear people in podcasts like when uh the podcast go podcast host i cannot talk in this episode gets a little bit more personal so hoping that some of y'all like that i'm throwing a little bit more of this informal stuff and If you do, maybe I'll try to make episodes a little bit more like this. But back to the topic of this episode about sports and wages for professional athletes, and if this is a good example of oppression directed against women. Those women were trashing, using all sorts of profanity as they did it, the idea that trans women, or to use a better term, men who cosplay as women, they were trashing the idea that men who cosplay as women should not be allowed in women's sports but like i said when i explained their argument a couple minutes ago rather than actually deal with the argument about how males who have undergone puberty have a skeletal and muscular structure that is better built for sports than do females who have undergone female puberty they use their non-sequitur emotional argument by the way we shouldn't be surprised they use a non-sequitur emotional argument since Science is not on their side in this, and more importantly, scripture is not on their side in this. And they really don't care that science is on their side, since according to critical theory, science is a patriarchal, white, oppressive, Eurocentric system that's just trying to keep down the man, or whatever nonsense they say. Uh, They're also feminists, so they use emotional arguments rather than logical ones. It's okay. You're allowed to laugh at that. 
like I said, you already heard the argument. They're basically saying that as long as women are getting paid, women athletes, female athletes are getting paid less than male athletes. We can't make any claim about women's sports and transgenderism. And you know, I don't really care that much about using women's sports as an argument against transgenderism because I have the Bible. But I do care about their misunderstanding of economics and value and how that relates to sports. So their idea is that as long as injustices in women's sports exist, and injustices are how they would define them, not how the Bible would define what is or is not an injustice, we cannot use women's sports as an argument against men cosplaying as women partaking in women's sports. If we did care about women's sports, they say, we would end those injustices first, then talk about the other thing. Or more likely, they don't want to talk about that. They just want to use this to change the topic so they don't have to address this objection. The thing these two women forgot to take into account when they made that economic argument is quite simple, really. They don't understand economics. But we shouldn't be surprised that their abysmal understanding of economics. They are proponents of feminism and critical theory neither of which leads to good economics or good critical thinking skills. Typically, women actually do make less money as professional athletes than males in the same sport, or at least they do when you look solely at major league sports in America. The National Football League, that's American football, not what we call soccer for the international listeners, the National Hockey League, Major League Baseball, and the National Basketball Association, which we will be focusing on in this episode because it is a lot easier to compare the NBA to the WNBA for the comparisons necessary to address this argument they were making. And so to help us better understand, let's look at some stats. In the 2020-2021 to NBA season, all of the teams combined made an estimated $6.41 billion in revenue. That is billion with a bravo, not million with a mic. This was actually down from the season before, where the NBA made $7.92 billion. And the season before that, the 2018-2019 season, where the NBA made $8.76 billion between all the team's total revenue. How does the WNBA compare? The WNBA, in a recent season, made about $60 million in revenue. That time it was million with a mic, not billion with a bravo. Comparing that $60 million to the billions made by the NBA shows the immense difference. If we compare that $60 million to the smallest of the three seasons I just listed from the NBA, the WNBA still made less than 1% of the revenue of the NBA in a single season. Approximately 0.94% to be exact. Not 94%, 0.94%. If you want to check that out further, I put the URLs for the articles where this info came from 
in the description of this episode. Why are those numbers from the stats I gave so important, and how do they point out that these two women do not understand economics? Because pay does not just magically come out of nowhere. Sure, in a purely socialistic society, money is basically nothing more than numbers on a screen. But that society does not exist, and, Lord willing, it never will. Pay comes from providing value that someone else is willing to pay for. Employers pay employees because they provide value that the employer needs to provide to others in order to receive money from them. Employers pay employees because they either provide more value than their wages or that employee provides a necessary sunk cost, such as dispatchers for trucking companies who enable the drivers to make the deliveries that make income for the company, yet the dispatchers do not make revenue for the company, company in and of themselves. So those statistics were important because of the amount of value that the NBA versus the WNBA provides. If the WNBA provided as much value as the NBA, they would have the same revenue. If they had the same value to fans and the same revenue, the players would be paid the same for both leagues. The fact is, the NBA provides less value and thus being a player in that league results in less pay. Call it sexist if you want, but it's just plain economics. If you want to change it, then get several million people who currently watch the NBA but not the WNBA to flip, and maybe some changes will happen. But first, we would need to see several million NBA fans stop watching the NBA and start watching the WNBA instead, and I do not expect that to happen anytime soon. So these women did not take into account the idea that wages exist when a provided value exists. They just want to pretend that wages exist in a vacuum where everyone should have the same wages, regardless of how valuable is the good or service each individual provides. But that is not reality. Reality is that people are only willing to pay so much for a certain good or service because it only provides so much value. If you want a higher wage, provide a more valuable good or service. That's all there is to it. If you want a higher wage, provide a more valuable good or service, one that people are willing to pay more money for. The feminists will probably respond how women can't play in the NBA, so that's unfair. Actually, some may respond that Women pretending to be men should be able to compete in the NBA, and since they'll never be good enough to make it on a team, there should be quotas of a certain number of biological females that should be on each team in the NBA. Hopefully not, but that seems like the kind of insanity that these intersectionalists would do. If they did force that, making it a law that each NBA team has to have so many athletes who are females cosplaying as males, that they have to have so much time on the court, and that they have to get paid just as much as their actually male counterparts, that would be detrimental to the NBA. Some people would stop watching professional basketball in outrage 
and boycott and others would stop watching it because with the female athletes, no matter how much testosterone these women are taking, it is not as much fun to watch anymore because they just plain aren't as good. Many teams will view the wages of these women cosplaying as men athletes as a sunk cost, and some may reduce the wages of all of their male athletes across the board to make them not have to pay their transgender athletes as much, hurting all of the players. Also, as it pertains to men and women in the workforce, with husbands and wives in separate careers, men and women should be building together a household to last for generations to build the kingdom of God, not each building their own individual kingdoms. Women have the responsibility of the things internal to the household, household, and men responsibilities to the things external to the household. But both work together to build a household according to the roles God put within the created order. And if men can do the work external to the household inside of it or outside the house on the property around it, like with a farmer, as much as possible with the family involved as well, that makes for a strong household. I actually pronounced the word correctly that time. This is an issue with recording this podcast late at night. So in short, professional female athletes do not get paid as much as their male counterparts generally speaking, because the pay an employee receives relates to the value provided to the company and the amount of money a company brings in. Basketball fans in general enjoy watching the NBA much more than the WNBA, and that is why it makes 100 times as much money in a given year. Actually, more than 100 times, if you remember how it was less than a percent, 0.94%, comparing the NBA revenue to the NBA, the WNBA revenue to the NBA revenue in a couple of recent given years. But in case some people are still not convinced, in case some people think that these are just made-up reasons provided to cover up the real reason of misogyny and hatred of women, Let's compare AAA baseball to the MLB, to Major League Baseball, as an example when only men are being considered. This will help us see that the reasoning I have provided thus far are the real reasons for the pay gap between the NBA and the WNBA, not some issue of being sexist. AAA baseball is the highest level of minor league baseball being only one step down from the MLB, Major League Baseball. Despite how close the two are, the level of average income between them is drastically different. Comparing income between Major and Minor League Baseball is difficult, though, because different players are paid differently depending on skill level and position and value to the team they play for. From what I googled, online in preparation for this episode and what I had looked into before I was really diving into preparation for this episode just out of curiosity it seems that most AAA baseball players once again the highest tier of minor league baseball and therefore the highest paid will by no means be rich and in fact may barely make the threshold of 
middle class unless they have some sort of side hustle to supplement their income. Meanwhile, the minimum that Major League Baseball players get in salary each year is in the hundreds of thousands of dollars. And for many players, their contracts can bring them well over a million a year. No wonder AAA players want to get pulled out of that league and into the MLB. Not just for the fame, though that is a benefit to many, I'm sure, but also because a well-paid AAA player makes drastically less than an MLB player making the bare minimum annual salary. Why is that the case? Why do MLB players get paid significantly more than AAA players? If we followed the logic that the feminists gave us concerning the WNBA and the NBA, we would argue that there is some sort of oppression here and for some reason, those who decide the pay levels of the players in these two leagues hate the AAA players and want to discriminate against them. But that is not the case. I mean, a team's MLB team and AAA team often has one or two guys that get traded up and down between the two leagues pretty regularly. He is probably one of the best on the AAA team but possibly struggles to keep up with everyone else in the major leagues. So they bring him up if someone is injured and has to sit out a few games and need another player, but send him back down to AAA when that guy gets better and can play again. It would be pretty weird to discriminate against one league over another when it is common for a player to go back and forth between the two multiple times within a single season. Yet, there are still significant pay differences for players between the two leagues. The reason is not because of oppression or discrimination, but like the NBA and WNBA, it is because of value. People tend to like watching MLB games, whether in person or on TV, more than they do AAA games. Now sure, there might be some big fans of a AAA team who do not get into any MLB teams that much, maybe because of geography. There are probably some people around Toledo who like the Mud Hens, but not the Tigers because the Tigers are in Michigan. They're in Toledo. They hate Michigan. And they also don't like the Reds because they're in Toledo. Cincinnati is practically on the complete opposite side of the state. Well, really, it kind of is. They're both north and south border cities so they're kind of in the middle they don't want to support the major league team that the mud hens correspond to the tigers but they also don't want to support the reds because they're so far away and so maybe they just like the mud hens and they don't really care about major leagues but in general people keep up with the tigers more than the mud hens the cardinals more than the redbirds etc that results in more revenue for the mlb than for the AAA league. More revenue for the league as a whole results in more money for the players who enabled the league to make its income. In short, MLB players tend to provide more value, value that results in greater income to the MLB than AAA players provide for that league. And thus, MLB players get paid much more money for doing essentially the same job. It is not about the job you do, 
but how much money you make your employer while doing that job that results in greater pay. It is not about the job you do, but how much money you make your employer while doing that job that results in greater pay. So in summary, this episode responded to the claim from some feminists that women get paid less in women's sports than men do in men's sports because of sexism and probably the patriarchy as well. Honestly, the way women talk about the patriarchy, they almost sound like the people who think that lizard people run the entire world or something like that. And this episode has shown that it is not sexism, but the value brought to the employer. In this case, the sports league as a whole and the specific team you play for individually that determines your pay. I showed this with numbers from the NBA and WNBA and also use an example with all men from the MLB and AAA baseball leagues to show that this is truly about value, not sexism or any other form of oppression or discrimination. So the moral of the story of this episode is that intersectionality makes you say really dumb things. As we go, I want to remind everyone that the law of the Lord is perfect, sure, right, pure, clean, and true. So go apply that law in light of the gospel of Christ's atoning death and resurrection to every area of life. Grace and peace, friends. Satisfies me, your love is sweet, oh you.